Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll talk about our Wyoming weather and maybe it will dry out. Also, we'll take a look at a puppy, we'll talk about ducks, and we'll talk about a special young lady. And also, we'll talk about Buffalo Bill Cody, one of my favorites. Thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the eighth day of the month of June. Can you believe it, June? I was filling out a check today, and I don't know what happened to May. Right now, we're a little bit overcast. As we said last week, we got some pretty good rains. This week, we were supposed to get similar, but have not seen anything here in Hot Springs County. Just a, maybe a drop, but we've had some clouds, a little bit of boomers around, that type of activity but nothing in the way of rain. I did plant some more stuff in the garden and around doing that type of stuff, and I was hoping we'd get some rain. Of course, now we're not, so uh, hopefully we can in the next day or so, but if not, I'm going to have to start putting a lot of water on to get everything growing. So it looks like we're going to stay in the same weather pattern. I see no indications of anything really breaking yet. Of course, around the country, it's amazing. You start looking at some of the areas that just had unbelievable amount of rain, other areas that are still in a little bit of a drought. One other thing that we talk about, this is weather-related, is the fires that are going on in Canada. I got to looking at a map today, and it's just kind of uh, unbelievable the amount of fires that suddenly have started all over. I heard a story that there's parts of the provinces that are having some drought issues, and then there's other parts that aren't. They suddenly are having a lot of fires. Some of these are man-caused, and lightning has been another reason, but you know, back a couple of years ago when the Northwest was having a lot of fires, they knew that some of those were getting started by some activists. They caught a couple of people actually doing that. I don't know what's going on, but it's amazing. Of course, they're using climate change as the reasoning behind this, which we won't get into right now, but I'm definitely not a believer in that. Climate change is the issue right here. But um, now I see places in the Northwest excuse me, northeast that are having issues with uh, breathing capabilities. Uh, There's a lot of particles and the smoke and stuff is in one spot. I saw in New York, it's the worst day they've ever had. So I guess it must be pretty bad if it's happening in New York City. So fires are still out there. Other places are getting rain. But right here, I would like to have a couple of uh, more showers. Sound like a farmer right now. But again, weather, you can't beat it. Great time to come to the state of Wyoming and take a look at our beautiful state. Today in our potpourri section, kind of give an update what's going on in my life. A week ago, got a dog, got a little puppy, and I, I don't know what happened. I got soft. My wife wanted a puppy and we did get a little Doberman puppy. And she's a cute little dog. I forgot. I always tell people if you're going to have kids when you get married, get a puppy first and let you practice on what it's like. So getting up at night, making sure the little girl goes out and goes to the bathroom and working on getting her potty trained for not having accidents in the house. And then yesterday, she ended up with a UTI, urinary tract infection. 
And so I had to take her over to the vets this morning, get some antibiotics. It's amazing that cleared that up. Starting already, it's it's getting better. Part of having a dog, and especially pups, most of our dogs recently have been older dogs. And I don't know, I, I'm going to have to think about this. I'd still like to get a German Shepherd. We lost our German Shepherd Duke, and I'd like to find one. And I'm looking at another pup, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I guess I can't learn my lesson, but I think it's better to have the two dogs that are closer in age, a male and female, to raise at the same time. So it goes on. And then this week we had a disaster here. We had a an attack on the property. We have chickens and ducks. They're runner ducks, and they do run fast, and they like to do that. And we had them in one of our outbuildings, and our chickens are over in the chicken coop. I went out two days ago and opened up the door to the barn where the ducks are located. No um, ducks in sight. What's going on here? And I know I put them in here, started to look, and I knew kind of that sick feeling something had happened. Saw two of them dead in the corners, and I did see one male that was up under a bench. And the mama duck, probably our oldest duck, she was nowhere to be found. So I had to open up the door, did a complete search, and looked like something might have got underneath the door, the sliding door, but didn't smell any type of skunk. We've had skunks before, and we've had a badger get into the chicken coop, but never anything into the barn. This is the first. Opened up the door, and the male duck ended up down by the entrance to the property. And then lo and behold, later in the day, Mama Duck suddenly popped out. of, And she was alive. Both of them had been attacked by whatever it was, but they are still surviving. Ended up putting them in a stock trailer so they'd have really good protection. So now it's just a matter of time with the things. Don't really want to stress them out too much, but they're recuperating. So I guess we'll see what happens over the next few days. But again, the chickens did not have any type of issues going on with the chickens. So I guess life when you live in the country and you've got those predators out there, they're looking for a meal. So they see those ducks or chickens, I guess they taste pretty good. And then also last week we had a accident in the family. My wife and I's nephew's little girl was involved in an accident and she now is in the hospital. Uh, she is... One tough little girl. She has a great spirit about herself and and, uh, a great family uh, behind her. And she's on the road to recovery. She has some surgeries that she'll have to go through. But um, she is one lucky young lady. When kids are so precious, I think she's going to be something special. I know God has a plan for the young lady. And... I know that uh, our prayers have been with her and the medical staff and her family. And if you are a prayer warrior out there, would you please uh, pray for Malaya? She is in need of prayer for a healing hand being on her from God. May God bless her. Today in our history section... We'll be going to wildhistory.org, and we'll be looking at one of my favorites, Buffalo Bill and the Pony Express, Fame, Truth, and the Eventing the West, and this is by Tom Ray. 
Puff Bill Cody was just 14 years old, so the story goes, when he made his world-famous ride for the Pony Express. Leaving Red Buttes on the North Platte River near present-day Casper, Wyoming, he galloped 76 miles west to three crossings on the Sweetwater River. His route took him along what we now call the Oregon-California-Mormon Trail. There was a station, at least a rough cabin, and a horse corral along the road every 12 miles or so. At each station, Buffalo Bill would have jumped off his sweaty horse onto a fresh one. As he dismounted, he drew the Makalila, the leather saddle cover, with special pockets for mail from the saddle and threw it over the saddle of the horse that the wrangler brought up. This happened in a matter of seconds. There was no time to lose. Pony Express began in the spring of 1860 and lasted for 19 months. His purpose was to get the U.S. mail across the country as fast as possible. California, a state since 1850, was filling up with white people. The forces that soon would lead to the Civil War were pulling the nation apart. If the United States was going to hold together, there had to be a fast, reliable communication between the West Coast and the centers of power in the East. When he arrived at Three Crossings, the story goes on. Buffalo Bill found that Miller, the writer who was to take over for him, had been killed the night before in a drunken brawl. I did not hesitate for a moment to undertake an extra ride of 85 miles to Rocky Ridge, and I arrived at the later place on time. Buffalo Bill remembered many years later. Rocky Ridge was near South Pass. There, another rider would have to pick up the westbound mail young Bill delivered, but the eastbound mail needed a carrier, too, to take it back the way it just came. Bill volunteered again. When he got back to Three Crossings, the same man was, of course, still dead. So Bill again transferred the Mokalila and galloped back to Red Butte. The entire distance supposedly was 322 miles. All in all, it was a thrilling ride made by a valiant boy who was a great horseman all his life. By the time he was 50, in fact, Buffalo Bill was the most famous man in America. His Pony Express ride was one of the reasons for his stardom. But Bill had things mixed up. For one thing, Three Crossings and Rocky Ridge are only 25 miles apart, not 85. For a second thing, most importantly, he never did make the famous ride. In fact, William F. Cody never rode for the Pony Express at all. Young Will Cody was born in 1846 in a middle-class family on the Iowa frontier. After moving to Kansas in 1850, the family was thrust into poverty by the violence that then was leading up to the Civil War. Will Cody's father, Isaac, was a surveyor, founder of towns, a real estate investor, and a locator of land claims. During a dispute at a political meeting, a pro-slavery sympathizer stabbed him. Isaac Cody never recovered entirely from his wounds and died three years later. Young Will, meanwhile, had to find work to help support his mother and sisters. When he was 11 years old, he took a job carrying messages on horseback for the freighting firm of Majors and Russell. He rode from the company's offices in the town of Leavenworth to the telegraph office at Fort Leavenworth, three miles away. Majors and Russell soon became Russell's Majors and Waddell, the largest transportation company in the West, which owned stagecoaches, thousands of freight wagons, and tens of thousands of horses, oxen, and mules to pull them, as well as a network of stations, corrals, and employees across the West. This was the company that started the Pony Express system in 1860. Because young Will had worked for them briefly when he was 11, 
It may not seem to him such a stretch later to claim he had in fact ridden for the Pony Express when he was 14. Will Cody's real teenage years were troubling, not thrilling. When Congress made Kansas a territory in 1854, lawmakers left it up to the people there to decide whether to allow slavery. Armed men poured in. Some supported slavery, some opposed it. Elections were often violent. For a time, Bleeding Kansas, as it was called, had two territorial legislatures. One supported slavery, one opposed it, and each claimed to be the legal, rightful, lawmaking body of the territory. During the late 1850s, Bull Cody did not take jobs driving horses and wagons to places as far away as Fort Laramie and Denver. During the 19 months of 1860 and 1861, when the Pony Express was a going concern, he was at school in Leavenworth. He could not have been riding back and forth across what is now central Wyoming at the same time on the Sweetwater Division of the Pony Express. The Civil War broke out nationwide in April of 1861. Sometime in 1862, young Will, consumed by a desire to avenge his father's death, joined the Kansas Red Lakes, an anti-slavery militia. These men and boys were not regular soldiers. They were unpaid and lived only on what they could steal, according to Lewis Warren's 2005 book, Buffalo Bill's America, source of most of the biographical material in this article. Mostly the Red Legs stole horses and burned farms. More so even that other militias in Kansas and Missouri, they were criminals. They paid little attention to whether the families whose farms they burned were pro or anti-slavery or pro or anti-union. Young Will Cody rode with them for about a year and a half. Later in the war, he joined a regular Kansas regiment of the Union Army, and his soldiering became more respectable. After the war, he worked in western Kansas for a meat contractor that provided food for crews building the Kansas Pacific Railroad across the state. His job was to kill buffalo. He became known as Buffalo Bill, one of the several hunters on the plains with that nickname at the time. He also became friends with a man who held various police jobs in the towns of western Kansas, James Butler Hickok, better known as Wild Bill. Hickok became suddenly famous in 1867 when a reporter wrote an article about him in Harper's Weekly, a national magazine. Soon both Bills were the heroes of his so-called dime novels. Authors of these cheaply made pulp paper books used Hickok's and Cody's real name, but made up their thrilling adventures. Part of the fun for the readers was separating fact from fiction, guessing what was true in the stories and what wasn't. Cody understood this. By the early 1870s, Hickok, Cody, a friend named Texas Jack, Omohundro, and Jack's Italian-born wife, Galicipia Morisiata, were appearing together during the winters in stage plays around the West. Many of these they wrote themselves. Plays were full of scrapes, escapes, daring rides, fights, rescues, noble heroes, and evil villains. The same kind of stuff that thrilled the dime novel readers. At the same time, the Indian wars on the plains were escalating. The U.S. Army also needed expert help to find its Indian enemies. Most of this work was done by other Indians and by mixed-race men. They were generally fluent at least in English and their mother's Indian languages, which made them useful as interpreters. Because of their race, the white officers were never entirely comfortable around them. Cody was smart and friendly. The officers liked him because he liked to drink whiskey and tell stories and because he was white. But Cody also was comfortable around Indians in a way that most white officers were not. When it came time to chase Indian enemies, 
Cody stuck close to the Indian scouts and stayed out ahead of the troops. When the enemy was found, Cody would take the credit for the discovery. Soon the officers were praising him in their official reports and in their conversation with newspaper reporters, and they passed his name along to rich men looking for guides for hunting trips. When General Philip Sheridan arranged for Grand Duke Alexis, son of the Tsar of Russia, to come hunt Buffalo in 1872, he made sure his favorite officer, George A. Custer, was along on the trip and that Cody was the guide. At Sheridan's suggestion, Cody persuaded Spotted Tail, chief of the Lakotas, to visit the hunting camp in western Nebraska with a number of warriors and their families. To entertain the bigwigs, the Indians staged large dances and killed buffalo with bows and arrows from their horseback. Custer and the Duke were also stars of the event, but the newspaper noticed Cody too. He was seated on the spanking charger, one of the columnists wrote, and with his long hair and spangled buckskin suit, he appeared in his true character of one feared and beloved for all miles around. Cody was learning a lot about fame. He continued his double life, appearing in plays in the winter and scouting for the army in the summers. He took part in a few skirmishes in the Indian Wars and became part of the plays. And they became part of the plays. He took part in a few skirmishes in the Indian Wars and they became part of his plays. Eventually, too, he wore his stage costume when he went out in campaign. A few weeks after Custer's defeat and death on the Little Bighorn in 1876, Cody was scouting with the 5th Cavalry in western Nebraska. He was wearing a red shirt with billowing sleeves and silver-trimmed black velvet trousers when he encountered a Cheyenne warrior named Yellowhair. In the skirmish, Cody killed him and scalped him on the spot. He sent Yellowhair's scalp, war bonnet, weapon, shield, and home to his wife, Louise, by this time living in New York, where it was displayed in a store window. Newspapers covered the story. Following winter, he toured with a new play, the Red Right Hand, or Buffalo Bill's First Scalp for Custer, implying that Cody's act was the first rule of revenge after the Custer fight. In 1879, when he was 33 years old, Cody published his autobiography. The book smoothed the stories of his early life and expanded his stock-driving jobs, supposed Pony Express service, and Indian skirmishes into dramas of frontier nerve, pluck, and progress. About this time, with the Indian Wars, the plains all but over, with the buffalo nearly gone and the plains filling up with cattle, Cody must have realized that the demand for his scouting skills would only continue to shrink. But still, America was hungry for the other half of Cody's skills, his skills in the show business. In 1883, Cody and his partner, named William Dot Carver, put together a traveling show that was part pageant, part circus, part rodeo, part parade, and part huge open-air drama. It was built out of the same thrilling dime novel and stage play episodes Cody now knew, as well as the episodes of his own life. Versions of the show, known as Buffalo Bill's Wild West, ran for more than 30 years from 1883 to 1916. All over North America and Europe, audiences loved it. In the early years, Cody found the most efficient way to make money was to park the show in a single spot near a large city on Staten Island, across the harbor from New York, for example, or in a 30-acre field outside of Paris and let the crowds come to him. In later years, after the show became well-known, the production had to travel constantly to find audiences still new enough to want to pay to attend. The show featured mounted Indians attacking a stagecoach or attacking a wagon train, 
and Indians attacking and burning a settler's cabin, where the settlers rescued at the last minute by a band of mounted men led by Buffalo Bill. The company included as many as 650 people in the largest year. Cowboys, Indians, Buffalo soldiers, sharpshooters, trick riders, and trick ropers, as well as cooks, wranglers, animal trainers, and all the laborers needed to set up, take down, and move the show. Indians played themselves. In 1885, they, inc- they included Sitting Bull, victor of Little Bighorn. Other well-known chiefs and warriors took part over the years, too. Among them, Spotted Tail, Red Shirt, and Standing Bear. The show even featured a pretend buffalo hunt. Thanks to Buffalo Bill, all these events became central to Americans' ideas and the world's ideas about how the West was settled. For the decade after Cody's death in 1917, they appeared and reappeared still in Western novels and especially in Western movies. Year after year and decade after decade, the show seemed thrillingly real to its audience. Down to the smallest detail, the show is genuine. Mark Twain, no stranger to the West, wrote to Cody in an unsolicited fan letter in 1884. The word show was never in the show's actual title. It was called Buffalo Bill's Wild West, as though people could depend on it to be genuine article. And year after year, decade after decade, the opening act was one many found most thrilling of all. The Pony Express, a rider galloped at full speed to the grandstand and reined his pony back onto its haunches, front feet falling in the air. The rider leaped to the ground, lifted the mochilla onto the next horse and was off again at a full gallop. The crowd was left breathless. Then people burst into cheer and applause. In their luxurious 10-inch by 7-inch printed programs, audience members could read all about Buffalo Bill's adventures. What did it matter if they were true or not? They seemed true. Cody succeeding in taking a very few elements of Western life, Indians, Buffalo, stagecoach, and his own suburbly mounted self and created an illusion that successfully stood for a reality that has been almost wholly different. In the end, these realities caught up with the star of the spectacle. Cody's debt were so large that he lost his show in 1913. He toured with other shows through 1916, but died broke at his sister's house in Denver in 1917. His legacy, however, is very much alive. Promoters in Wyoming and the West have since the turn of the century used techniques that Cody taught the world. Cheyenne's annual Frontier Rodeo, still continuing today, was founded in 1897, partly with Cody's Wild West in mind. Let's get up an old-time day of some sort. We'll call it Frontier Day. Cheyenne leader editor E.A. Slack wrote that year, We will get all the old-timers together, have the remnants of the cowpunchers come in with a bunch of wild horses, get out the old stagecoaches and some Indians, etc., and we will have a lively time of it. By 1920 and 1930, dime novels had given way to Western movies. Tourists were driving regularly to Wyoming to see Yellowstone Park and Cowboys. Articles in the Cody Enterprise urged locals to dress Western to supply the visitors with what they came to see, especially during the week of the Cody Stampede. Get on the red shirt and top boots and help put her on wild. On June 1st, the locals will be urged to don their eight-gallon hats and buckskin vests and go Western for the summer. That promotional tradition remains as strong as ever in Wyoming. Rome Free, the Wyoming Office of Tourism, proclaims today at the top of its website. 
A large part of the West people came to Rome, the most imagined part, the part they most wanted to see. It is the West that Buffalo Bill began showing us more than 125 years ago, when he let the world believe he really did make those thrilling rides for the Pony Express right across central Wyoming. Another outstanding story. There are so many stories about Buffalo Bill that, that I've talked about. Just a generational character. Just definitely a legend here in the state of Wyoming. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming. <laughs>